in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. Do you know why or wonder what other European countries actually think about America? And do you understand why so many millions of people want to come to this country? Dr. Giordano and I talk about this on The Patriot Cause. Dr. Tom Giordano was born in Philadelphia in 1955 and raised there and in South Jersey. He holds a bachelor's degree in zoology with a specialization in microbiology from Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, and a doctorate in chiropractic from the Pennsylvania College of Straight Chiropractic in Philadelphia. He has been a chiropractor, physician, in active practice since 1988. He was an adjunct professor of human anatomy and physiology at Camden and Rutgers, as well as a lecturer of basic clinical and diagnostic science at his alma mater. He has an editorial background as a contributing editor for three international peer-reviewed Index Medicus scientific journals and is the author of the book Unleanable, What It Really Means and Why It Matters, and is a featured guest on the Liberty Brief podcast. Welcome, Dr. Tom to the podcast. Thank you very much, sir, for being on the Patriot Cause. Thank you, thank you, Gunny. It's a, it's a pleasure speaking to an to a. Well, I wouldn't call you an ex marine. I'll call you a marine. No, nope, no, nope. always never, a marine. Once a marine. Uh, yep. Once a marine, always a marine. Uh, the other thing I have to I have to correct you on something. Okay. The the part of New Jersey that I grew up in was south of the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> I know a lot of people say that. I you get know, it. I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. It was south. So, of all right. Yeah. So, well, I'm we'll we'll get we'll give that to you. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Thank thank Absolutely. you very much. It was uh, an interesting introduction. <laughs> but here's the neat part that I wanted to talk to the audience about. What you guys uh, that I think is very important is we have an opportunity with Tom here to see how the world, specifically the Western world, views America. Because, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have been living in Italy for like 30 years now or something like that? Yeah, it's a little over 33 years, yeah. 33 years. So in that time frame, obviously, I know you keep up with what's going on in the United States. you got family here. You know, you visit back and forth and, you know, those kind of things. So it's not like, what's going on in the United States is not familiar to you because I know you keep up with it, yes, but you're true. also ingrained in that Italian um, 
social construct that they live in in the society of you know the Italians. So you have a uh, an ability to talk with those people mm -hmm. about the United States and vice versa, you know, talk to your family about Italy. So very interesting to, to be able to have a guest of your statue here specifically talking about how they view America. So what I would like for you to do first is give us a little bit more information about you if you want, and then let's kind of talk about how you see or feel that the Western world, Italy, whoever, France, uh, mm -hmm. views the United States and specifically what's going on probably within the last four or five years. Okay. Uh, for what I've, you, first of all, you have to understand that in Italy, they've never had a sense of freedom. Okay. It's not, gotcha. they do, they do not have the background that we in America have. The very first thing that they say to me is, well, you know, you're from the United States and it's a young country and you don't have much of a history. And I, I stopped them immediately. I said, whoa, wait a minute. The United States and, the, and Europe have the same history. The United right. States is an extension of history, the, uh, the history of Europe. The European history is what America, in its founding uh, in 1776, its declaration and then the Constitution, that history is what we were trying to throw off. We were trying to change for the better. Now, you could go back to uh, Renaissance Italy, and uh, or I, I like to call it Rinascimento, but that's what it was. I don't know why they apply a French term to what was going on in Italy, but they do. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it was the only time that there was a sense of freedom where you could vote with your feet and go from one papal state to another. But uh, the Italians uh, do not have a sense of freedom. They have a sense of uh, control under their government, Okay. Uh, as far as the rest of Europe goes, with the exception of England, uh, they see the United States as a threat, a threat to um, their socialist uh, ideology, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, there are people that think they're free here, but they do not understand freedom. Um, gotcha. So, you know, and, uh, and I that's have probably the ones the ones that you're talking about is probably the type of people that are well, um, in, you know, ingrained into their their area, their country. They're probably pretty well to do financial, those kind of things. So they're, you know, they're not, quote, suffering or feeling any uh, no, in no. intensity compared to, you know, somebody that may be struggling to live in Italy or, you know, struggling to make ends meet and they can't advance or they can't have the freedom to be able to to do what is necessary so yeah, well ex exactly no one is starving in italy right uh, but that is the from what i understand of the italian history and my family was part of that history was an integral part of that history especially since uh you know during the napoleonic uh, wars uh, the what they you know they call the uh, la rivolta francese uh, la rivolta francese here in Italy. Um, we were uh, integral in uh, in fighting off the Napoleonic forces, but uh, the the thing is that they the only thing that will get an Italian out into the street and and protesting is if you touch their table. 
<laughs> really, that's basically it. Yeah, you can push them. Interesting. They're a right. tired. They're a tired people, as far as uh, historical perspectives go. They're used to having thugs, <laughs> and uh, you know, oh, and yeah. people take taking control. Yeah. You, well, you know the history of uh, the mob, Sicily, just right. You know. Yeah. Well, that that's basically why the mob, uh, you know, whether you want to call it the um, the Camorra and Cosa uh, Nostra, well, yeah. the Cosa Nostra is is typically American. It's not the yeah. mafia. Oh, okay, okay. The, the mafia exists here in Sicily. In other mm -hmm. places, uh, you have the La Camorra in Naples. You have the Indrangheta in in Calabria. You have the Sacra Corona Unita in Puglia. You have all of these different branches, but they are all a response to injustice on the part of the government. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. You, know, you, yeah. you can't take a cultured people and, uh, and suppress them without them trying to form their own type of uh, justice within their own uh, enclaves. And uh, that's exactly what happened in, in the United States. But in the United States, right. it's called La Cosa Nostra, our thing. Right. Uh, and, and basically, but it's different. When we're talking about the Italian people, the Italians are very open. Uh, you know, they have a, a nationalism that's not based in race. It's based in their pride of their, uh, their background, you know, the, the Greco-Roman background that we have. Uh, in France, it's a little different. Uh, France, uh, the French are uh, basically chauvinists. That's where we got the word. <laughs> you know? And chauvinism as applied to, uh, to politics, not uh, applied that's correct. to uh, uh, not right. not applied to sexuality. The only uh, people that we have in Europe that I would say are tightly aligned with America are the Swiss mm -hmm. and the British, the you know the United Kingdom. Yep. Uh, the Swiss actually have a government that's based in uh, Jeffersonian politics, Jeffersonian theory. And you it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting, you know. After World War II, um, I know a lot about Germany and the the changes or how Germany got restructured because my mom was born in Germany. So she was born in 44, so just before the war ended. But even, even going through her life, she had to see that adjustment and see, you know, what, what was going on. To Germany. Now, the only way that she can compare what was happening was from her parents and her uncles and aunts that lived through the war and was part of Germany before the war, that kind of stuff. So I, I keep asking her, and I've asked her for years, why did you come to the United States other than she married my dad and he was in the army? But this is a great example of what we're talking about here. Even back then, in 61, my dad married her in Germany and brought her back to the States. Um, my oldest brother was born in Germany. And then I was born a year after he was born here in the States. But anyway, so she moves to the United States and she grew up or, you know, she lived the rest of her life. She's still alive, but she lived here in the United States. She never taught us a lick of German whatsoever. <laughs> Right. And I'm, and of course, she talks on the phone to her family constantly. And every word she says when we were kids and growing up, I had no idea what she was saying. But here's the point I make it. 
through that process of what was going on in Germany and, you know, transitioning, getting them out of that Nazi nationalism state of mind, trying to give them freedom and all that. That's kind of what drove her to come to the United States. Yeah. And, you know, so I think a lot of people in these other countries, like you're talking about after the war, they kind of sort of went back in their old ways, you know, or, or became even more, uh, you know, social, uh, socialist type mindset where the government now runs more stuff. Your, your observation is absolutely accurate. Okay. And look, you and I were both raised in the United States with, uh, with strong men that had their Mm -hmm. lives defined by what they had experienced during the war. My next door neighbor was a guy named uh, Nick DeLuca from South Philadelphia. His wife was from Germany. My uncle Frank married a woman named Lisa Lotte Käferstein from Hof in Germany after Mm -hmm. the war. He was with Patton's Third Army, went all across France into Belgium and then all the way into Bavaria, okay? Uh, You know, so he fought across actually came into, uh, before um, Patton's Third Army, he, he actually landed in Normandy. Uh, my father fought in the South Pacific for three years. Uh, his brother, Nick, was a pilot in the, South, in the Army Air Corps in the South Pacific. So we were raised with people who fought in that war. They knew firsthand what, what imperialism was and what socialism was. The family that I was raised with across the street from us were immigrants from Holland, from Rotterdam, all right? Mm. And yeah. they, they were young people when the war started in 19, they were, th- they were 13 years old in 19, when, when the Germans invaded um, Holland and uh, the Netherlands. So these people had an, a, a direct understanding of the horrors of socialism and Marxist theory, okay? Yes. Now, here's what happened. At the end of the Second World War in in Europe, uh, I don't know if you understand that, that Nazism is an abbreviation for National Socialist German Workers Party. Their, yes. The name of the party was actually NASDAP, okay? Yes. Now, what they linked on was not socialist after the war. What they linked on was national. Exactly. And they convinced these people, these, these socialists, these Marxist uh, people with Marxist theory, they convinced the Europeans that nationalism was the problem and not socialism. I mean, th- mm. this started right immediately as the war was ending. Hitler wasn't, wow. even, wasn't even dead yet. And you had these elitists in England and in the United States, especially the economists, that were saying that, oh, no, socialist, this, this national socialism, this Nazism and fascism in Italy was a capitalist response to communism. Imagine the stupidity of that statement. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So basically, uh, what you had was these people altering the, the, the unification of, of uh, Europe under the European Union, where they created an actual Soviet system. The oh. European Union is a Soviet system that has sought to eliminate nation, you know, nation states and political national boundaries. The thing right. that makes a country a country is 
language, culture, and frontiers or borders. Right. That's what makes a country. I mean, I hear people talk about diversity. Oh, yeah, we got to have diversity. Diverse. What do you think diversity comes from? It comes from borders, where mm -hmm. you have cultures that are that arise independently within borders. Right. Right. So that's what they tried to eliminate. And that's what people like Nigel Farage uh, in uh, in Great Britain, well, in the United Kingdom, I should say, that's what they fought against. So you were fortunate. You had a mother that was a Deutschlanderin. You know, she mm -hmm. was from Deutschland. She understood. And she was she was not a Volksdeutschlander. She was a, you know, she was a proper Deutschlander from Deutschland. You know? Yeah, so absolutely. She was not but a German that was born outside. Well, so. it's not, not only that, she was the youngest of eight, eight children. Her right. oldest brother was uh, 18 years old when he went into the army. And he uh, was a tanker with Rommel in Africa. And he hmm. was there two days and died in Africa in a tank. Yeah. You know, so now Interesting. My, my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, when they immigrated to the United States, they only had one brother left in, in Italy. Hmm. Uh, uh, his name was Antonio Melsa. And he was from Terranova da Sibri in Provincia di Cosenza in Calabria. He died in the war, too, in North Africa, 21 years old. Well, my, the only, my grandfather, <laughs> yeah, my, my grandfather, this is the, this story is unbelievable. You, you can't write a book about this because you gotta, you would have to talk to him to write it. Let me explain to you why. He was captured on the Eastern front by the Russians. So he oh went God. basically through the first or the last year and a half or so of the war in a Russian prison camp. After the war, they didn't release the prisoners to go back to Germany. No, no. What happened was they took these Russian prisoners and turned them into workers to rebuild their cities and, and all that stuff. Right. Slave so my grand, yeah. So my grandfather, not my great grandfather, my grandfather. <laughs> A lot of people yeah. are like, what? He managed to escape in 1956 from a Russian prison. He had a, a lot of leeway. He was a driver and all that kind of stuff. So him and this other guy made a pistol out of wood and a, and a pipe. Uh -huh. And they used that to, to, to get the truck they needed to, to leave and escape. So they did. Well, the truck only lasted for so long. They had no money to buy any gas or anything, so they walked. So they they walked from Russia, twenty five hundred miles, back to Germany. Jesus. Now he lost his buddy about a, a quarter of the way through there because he had a bad leg from the war and all that stuff. So my grandfather walked all the way across Russia. Now here's the neat part. Because he was a Russian prisoner, um, you know, a German Russian prisoner, as he was going across the country, the Russians welcomed him huh. in their house, fed him, helped him stay, avoid, you know, any of the, the Russian police and all that, and helped him get back to Germany. It's an well, unbelievable but, story. You know, and had he been in that truck, I guarantee he would have been recaptured. Oh, yeah. And, prob absolutely. and probably put to death. Yeah. But see, that's, 
you know, that's what freedom is. That's what freedom means to a person. So a lot of people, they go, well, we're free. You don't have a freaking clue what freedom actually is. No, no. You think you are, but yeah, you know, that's a great example of, of, you know, wanting to be free. You know, the concept of freedom um, did not exist in humanity until the classical age of Greece. That's correct. Uh, they had to, they, they had to invent a word to describe the sense of being free. In Greek, it's eleftheria, all right? In the Romans translated it to um, libertas, but uh, eleftheria in, in Greek means to be free. Uh, so we, we have a civilization that's based upon freedom. And the United States took that, uh, you know, we, we cast off the feudal systems and all that kind of thing to center our government around the individual. Mm. The smallest minority in the United States is the individual. It's not a group. You know? So, yes. And, and that's something that the people in Europe just do not understand. They don't understand. Not only that, my mom was telling me that the Germans, you know, she used to go back and forth to Germany. She's kind of, you know, not disabled, but she can't has a hard time walking and stuff. So she can't go back to Germany anymore, basically. She can't handle the flights, all that. But here's the thing. When I was in, especially when I was in the military, and she'd go back and forth to Germany, visit with her, you know, family, nephews, uncles, whatever. Hmm. And she'd come back. And then she would tell me about what her family thought about America and how spoilt rotten we were. And, you know, all of these, all these terminologies of, we don't have a clue, you know, what life is supposed to be like and, and so forth. And later on, I started asking her, I says, I don't know what, what that means. And she says, everything in germ, majority of everything that a person needs to survive is provided you know, the healthcare and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so in the United States, they looked at us as being rich people because we were had enough money to pay for our own insurance and cars and houses and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they never, you know, even though they went from the national socialists, like you're saying, they still look at America as a capitalist evil country that should be socialist. Yes. Uh, even today. Yeah, that's it's crazy. And you, well, will we, find, you, know, you will find that the French uh, politicians, especially the socialist ones, they have never forgiven us for liberating them from, from themselves. <laughs> Twice. Never forgive. I mean, that's that's. Oh, don't say that to anybody that, that fought over there. I guarantee you they would not be a hey, happy camper. <laughs> listen, you know? I, I think, well, I'm telling you, I, I've heard politicians in France, right. French politicians, I believe it. I believe uh, it. Talk about, uh, you know, exhuming our dead American soldiers in the, uh, in the graveyards there, like at Normandy, because mm -hmm. they claim that the bodies are polluting their French soil. When I hear things like that, the, the veins in my neck want to, want to, explode i know and and we're we're the spoiled ones right? well yeah but you see that when they when their chestnuts are in the fire who do they call exactly. who do they call 
you know, and now every I'm, time, every, every single time. time, you know, it's we, they, what they do not understand is that Americans want to be left alone. Yes. They don't want to be bothered. They don't understand that independence means also independence from your government. That's correct. They don't understand that. Yep. Uh, they think it's, you're right. You're absolutely right. Italians, what do Italians think? First of all, when you think about an, a, a middle-class Italian, middle-class Italian, maybe, if they're lucky, would earn the equivalent of $18,000 a year. Wow. That's middle-class. Yeah. You know, that's below our American poverty line. Po poverty line. It is. It is. You know? And that's what they consider middle-class here. Wow. You know, it's, it's just absolutely unbelievable. You can't, you can't breathe without having some, some, some politician uh, or some politician, some bureaucrat telling right. you yes or no. You know, uh, the, I, way I, the, the way that I know what you're talking about, no, I haven't lived in a socialist country. I'm living in one now being developed. I know that for a fact, but here's yeah, the well. thing. I was in the government as a civilian for eight years. Okay. And our government is exactly what you're talking about, yes. right? The, the point is, when you become a government employee, you have all these benefits, right? All these things that you don't have to pay for because the taxpayers are paying for it. But you make chunk of change. You make good money in the government, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all provided for you. Like, you know, if you need a computer system, whatever, all, you know, whatever you need to do your job is provided. And because of diversity, as it's called, right? You got half the people in the government haven't got a clue what in the world they're doing. Yeah. They're it's, not, what, they're, they never qualified for the job, but it's the who, who, whatever. So here's the thing. The thing about it is, is the good government people, we have to work three times as hard to cover for the people that are not working because we can't replace them because yeah. of the policies and all that kind of stuff. So it's the same thing. These guys are doing nothing, but they're getting the same benefits and all that as me. That's socialism. Exactly. Right. It's a great example and, of it. You know. And if you think about, well, look, the, the top-down control of an organization is fine for the military. You can't run a military uh, any That's, other way. That is correct. That is correct. But my brother, Gary, is a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force, and he's on reserve right now. He's also a physician. He's the only guy in the uh, Air Force that has... Uh, navigator wings and flight mm. surgeon wings because he, he went in as a navigator and he left to study medicine and went back in but he described the organization in the air force as the monkey tree i don't know if, if they do that in the united states marine corps but the monkey tree all right the monkey right. tree is that all of the guys that are up in the upper branches are looking down and they see people <laughs> looking up with these big smiles but gotcha. all the guys on the lower branches are looking up and they're looking right into the buttholes of the people. There. <laughs> Perfect example. <laughs> so, exactly. And, yep. and for the most part, those people that are up there in the upper echelons, you know, they, they, they sucked up to get up. Well, you when know? I, uh, when I retired from the military in 2002 as a gunny, right. My paycheck was $32,000 a year, 20 years in an organization. What was that? An E seven, E eight, an E an E seven. I was making thirty two thousand dollars a year. Well, put that in your brain. Twenty years I spent in the military, right. getting promoted. So you can imagine when I was a private, 
and I was making $215, $20 a month, yeah. right? And eventually I got to the point where I thought I was making pretty good money. As soon as I got out of the military, kind of went back into IT field, that kind of stuff that I was very you know familiar with in the military, instantly tripled my pay like overnight. Right. And that's, you know, and that's because you had a skill that was paid for while you were in the uh, military. That's correct. I mean, all right. Yep. But here's the thing right now, if we were to take an average job in the private sector, let's say a secretary <clears throat> and compare it to the same job in the United States government or state or local government, those people make between 25 and 33% more than people in the private sector. That's correct. So, you know, there's a waste. There's a waste there for the American taxpayer. Now, there right. used to be a time where people would go into government uh, jobs to get the training to come out. And that's then correct. Go, you know, so basically that incentive is not there. And once they nope. get in, once they get in, they're protected. They basically okay. have to kill somebody in order to be uh, booted out of their job. I had a, a, a GS-13. I was a 14. He was a 13 that worked for me. Now, mind you, he had about three years to go to retirement. This guy would come to work, sit at his desk, search the internet, do whatever the hell he wanted to do, and then go home every day. Yeah. He did nothing. I wrote him up the whole nine yards going this, you know, they didn't care. They're just like, just let him sit there. Don't bother him. He'll be out here in a couple of years. And yeah. That's that's kind of how I had to deal with it. So, yeah, Tom, we're gonna we're gonna take a break. When we get back, uh, definitely want to talk about your movie. Oh, I'm sorry, your book, and you know maybe continue the discussion associated with your book, how it relates to what's going on in America. Because I'm convinced the book was written based on you know things that you've learned not only in Italy but specifically what's going on the lack of you know, our government respecting our constitution, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so we're going to take a break when we get right back and get you right back on. So don't go away. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free and I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea 
From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Well, there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back Patriots This is the Gunny And you're on the Patriot Cause Very, very special guest today A unique, unique individual in my mind Because he's an American but he's been living in Italy for 33 years and he loves his country. And he is with us telling us about how the Europeans or other people are viewing the United States. And we're also going to talk about his book and I'm enjoying every minute of it with that. Welcome back, Tom. Glad to have you back on podcast. Nah, it's great to be here, Gunny. It's great to be speaking with you. What I would like for us to discuss is specifically in your experience, talking to the Europeans and associated with America and their their view and how that relates to how we perceive America compared to how they perceive it. Um, first of all, you know, when, when my point of view is this, uh, you know, one of the things that is that I find fortunate uh, for me being here is that I could view America from afar. It's the yes. country that I was born and raised in. I was educated in. Uh, it's the country that my ancestors from uh, uh, Southern Italy and Central Italy uh, moved to seeking freedom. Now, they, I did not understand my grandparents when I was younger. Um, well, actually on my mother's side. And I asked my grandfather, who was from Calabria, you know, you know, Grandpa, uh, why did you come to America? And without hesitation, he said, for the freedom. And I didn't understand that until I came here. Now I gotcha. understood what motivated these people to, to leave their country and, and seek freedom in America. Now, they were not looking for a handout. At the time right. they, got to, they got to the United States, there was no welfare state here. They came here to work. They came to the United States to raise a family and to be left alone. Now, yes. it's, you know, every immigrant group has its problems. The Irish had them in the mid uh, 1800s. The Italians, the Jews, everybody that came to America had their problems. But still, the United States offered a ray of hope of freedom. And 
the people in Europe today don't understand what that freedom was. They don't understand uh, what it was like uh, back in the 1890s, let's say, to have to ask permission of the primo eletto or mayor of the, uh, mm. of the town you lived in to go to the next town to go visit family. You had to have a written permission to do that. My wow. grandfather was born into servitude in Italy. He was born into a, a feudal system. You know, the people, they talk about slavery in the United States being abolished with the 14th Amendment and it all coming to a head after you know, at the end of the Civil War. But uh, you know, feudalism ended in Italy in 1892. You know, we're talking approximately 30 years later. And wow. there, there is no difference between chattel slavery and, and uh, feudalism. These people were, uh, they were part of the property that they worked on. And when the property was sold, they were sold with it. That's what my grandfather was born into. So for him to come to the United States and own a row home in Philadelphia, it was paradise for him, even though he worked as a street cleaner, you know, raising 14 family, 14 members, 14 children during the Depression. It was paradise to him uh, because he knew that any future that he had in America was better than no future that he would have in, uh, in Calabria. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, you know, that that's what Italy at the time, the, the, the kingdom of Italy, uh, that's what it offered the 90% of the people in, in this country. They were illiterate, unable to vote, all that kind of thing. They had no franchise. Uh, and, you know, so that's where our, our permanence begins. And then when you have their children going off to fight in, this, in the Second World War, and the Italian-Americans as a group were the largest, let's say, minority group uh, that were fighting in that war. Uh, if you saw the film um, Saving Private Ryan, there was a scene in that, in that particular film where the guys are sitting underneath a, uh, a, um, uh, the wing of uh, a glider that brought some, you know, so the troops, I think, from the... Well, they weren't they couldn't have been from the 86th or the 101st Airborne because these people were being they were being dropped there. Um, but they were leading they were reading the dog tags of the of the guys that were killed, trying to find the guy Ryan. Right. And they were reading all through them and they were all Italian names and they were reading them out loud. <clears throat> and the guys that were coming back from the, the fight were all looking at them until one of them grab the bag of dog tags from these guys everybody's yep. looking at you. the medic the medic right the medic did Be you know and one of the th comments that the guy one of the guy from the guy from brooklyn said hey look at this all these guineas you're getting it you know right right uh you see uh, there was a lot of truth to that so oh yeah you know we we live from i i, I was raised in a generation of people all of the men had their lives defined by what they did defending united you know the classical liberal values that are enshrined in our constitution against enemies of that and those enemies yes. were socialist don't let anybody tell you any different uh you know we had the socialists and mark let's say marxists on the uh, in europe and we had japanese imperialism which basically amounted to the same thing it, you know it was the usurpation of other people's rights other people's property uh and the enslavement of people America went to war to liberate people, 
not to enslave them. And this was the mentality that I was raised with. Uh, and the greatness of our country was apparent. Uh, you know, everybody knew it when in our generation. We knew because we were raised by men and women who fought uh, the very thing that people are trying to uh, push on the United States today. And I don't want to use this word, but this is what the leftists use. They always have used this word. It's called democracy. Yeah. yeah. Democracy is not freedom. No. It's very hard to get people to, to, to stop using that word when they're talking about we're, we are a democracy. No, of and for the people. I mean, that's the explanation. But when we're talking about the Europeans rebuilding after World War II and going so forth, give a great example. In the early 1900s in Germany, this is the same socialist people that you're talking about. They created this university to train communists and socialists. Oh, yeah. Sure. That's that's what they did. But they did that for a reason, because, you know, during the, those early days in the industrial time frame. Capitalism was was an evil because you had the sweatshops and all these people, they're building all this stuff and they're getting paid you know, low wages. So then you had this worker stuff. And that filtered that capitalism kind of filtered into the european countries and they started kind of wanting to go into this capitalism world yeah but these, well, these countries have, they're so ingrained in this socialism kind of ideology it started there and then it then it started filtrating in the into england and you know denmark and all these other countries and eventually right. In the early 1900s, it ingrained itself in the United States in the Socialist Democrat Party. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't I say talk about democracy? Yeah, right. Right. That, well, let I me, mean, it, it goes hand kind of goes hand in hand. Right. Exactly. But you have to understand that uh, the, the term capitalism, capitalism is merely the investment of money into capital. Now, money is not capital. Money is an asset. It's the investment of monies into capital. Capital could be a building. It could be a tool, a machine. Yes. To increase yep. the productivity uh, or the efficiency of a, of a, a company. Capitalism is, uh, it, it exists under every single form of government there is. The only difference is who is making the investment, where the money comes from, and who gets the profits. It exists under communism as well. It exists under socialism. There is no, there is no organization, uh, political organization in the world that does not have capitalism. The only difference is that in the United States, it was free market capitalism. You and I can invest our money into the production uh, and, uh, and efficiency of a company and gotcha. reap the rewards of that investment. Now, capitalism is an economic system, not a political one. There is no politics in capitalism. Socialism, communism, any form of Marxism is a political system. It mm. is a way to organize society. It is not an economic one. 
they use economics to organize the means of production. Now, the means of production means, you know, basically organizing people and organizing uh, industry, uh, basically to produce things that people do not want. Okay. Capitalism yes. is governed by many, many things. It is a system of profit and loss. And the loss is just as important as the profit. Okay. Now, you have to understand that you have to view Karl Marx, which is where socialism, uh, uh, communism, fascism, and Nazism derive from. Don't let anybody fool you. You know, claiming Absolutely. that fascists are on the right and social and uh, you know Nazis no. are on the right. They are no. Marxists. Period. They are. The only difference, is, you know, where the power comes from and who's who's organizing the power. One was national, one was international. That's the only difference. Their goals were the same. Okay, no question about it. Now, what happens? Our forefathers in the United States understood with our political uh, you know, form of government, the, the, the representative Republican form of government, it's a republic that was given to us uh, by the, um, uh, the Iroquois Confederacy of the Six Nations. They were the ones who instructed us on how to operate a federal government, okay? Where each state, each state had its own independence, the people uh, you know, had its own sovereignty, and there was an overlying government that acted on our behalf, but it was subservient to us. It was, they understood that centralization of government was the danger. They understood it because we came from a centralized, uh, you know, government in the United Kingdom. They understood it. So their objective objective was to diffuse that power among the states, not to inf interfere with state sovereignty. Okay. That's why we have senators elected selected before the <laughs> before the uh, 17th amendment senators were selected by their state's assembly they were not elected by the people and there was a reason for that because we did not want a democracy as far as the senators went because their objective under the constitution was to protect states sovereignty the house of representatives was to represent the people they were closer to the people that was a democratic institution exactly but they, you know, it was a democracy, direct democracy, but they were only they were only elected for two year terms so that they could be kicked out by the people in a relatively quick period of time. OK, and then you had the presidency, which was the executive branch. Basically, that was elected by an electoral college. We have a federal republic. It's a constitutional republic. Now, here's well, we the did. objective. We, well, did. we did. We did. But here's the here's the thing. These. We had a tradition, a Western tradition, and we looked back in history. We looked back at the Greeks, the Greek polis, all right, the, which, which was the city, the city states. Polis is the plural of polis. Now, what we understood, looking back at, at, uh, you know, at Athens, looking back at Sparta, looking back at Rome, we understood that we needed representation. Okay, but with the federal form of government, it was the decentralization. And this is what's important to what you were talking about with Germany. When Germany unified um, in uh, 1879 with, uh, <clears throat> I believe it was Bismarck, right? Von Bismarck? Yes. Um, there were approximately 250 individual principalities and states within the German uh, sphere. 
1879, when they unified under Bismarck, there were approximately, what was it, uh, 39, something like that? Yes. When After the First World War, when it became the, the, the Weimar Republic, there were 19. Okay? Now, here is the question that I have for you. Do you think that a man like Adolf Hitler, you know, old Adolf, you think he could have consolidated power in that in that sphere of influence if they were still 250 individual states? Absolutely not. No. It was the consolidation and the centralization of power that laid before him the ability to grasp that. That's what our founding fathers tried to avoid. But and you're saying is true. We do not have a democracy in America. It was not designed to be a democracy. It's never mentioned in the Constitution, democracy. This comes from Greek, demokratia, which means people power. But they never talk about ochlakratia, o demokratia paranomos in Greek, which means mob rule, the, the, <laughs> the democracy aside from the law, all right, which is 51%. It is a tyranny. Jefferson referred to it as a tyranny of the majority. It's mob rule. That's what we tried to avoid with the American Constitution. That's what made it unique. Go back in the 60s. We talked about this. You had these socialist, communist organizations standing up. Then you had um, uh, McCarthy. Remember those days? Sure. When in the 50s, McCarthy was like, okay, we got communism. We got communists in our country. We got to go find them and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, he, he was certainly right about Alger Hiss, wasn't right. he? Yeah, but all he did was just kind of, you know, pill a little bit of the onion. I mean, the yeah. onion was huge. Now, that onion that was huge then is not an onion anymore. It's a, it's a gigantic farm. Right. Here's the thing. A lot of people don't understand this. The Frankfurt School was created for a specific reason to do a social change realized by way of rational social institutions. So they knew there is no way that we could change America from a republic into this social, uh, uh, what uh, I guess, democratic social thing, that, uh, terminology, right? I'm a social democrat. Yeah, you know, socialized kind of democracy. John F. Kennedy's father was an absolute supporter of McCarthy. And even, even, though, even though Joseph uh, Kennedy, his father, was a Democrat. So I'm telling you right now, JFK and RFK would never, ever be, be accepted into the Democrat oh, party today. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's, you know, you know, they're talking about what they call the, I guess, the, the blue dog Democrats and <clears throat> all this kind of words. But here's the thing. What I want us to what I'm trying to capture is this. And correct me if I'm wrong when I make this statement, but I think in my mind, this is where we're at. And this is why we're at this place where the European countries are, are looking very bad towards the United States. And the re what I think it is, is socialism, communism, you know, 
that mentality, that social life or uh, political structure mm-hmm. that they have been pushing for all of these years in the United States is not working, Tom. Right. Well, it, it hadn't been for years, but now it's it's making huge, huge steps. So right. my mind, and this is what I'm asking you, is this. Do you think that the Europeans that still kind of are under this socialist umbrella are looking at the United States going, we hate you so bad because we have been trying and trying and trying to get you, that country, into this socialist world? Exactly. Uh, now, let me let me explain to you the Marxist playbook on this. You know, before the end of the uh, 1800s, Marx pitted uh, using what's called the Hegelian dialectic. The Hegelian dialectic comes from uh, Georg Hegel, okay? Uh, it is you pit one group against another and create social chaos, social upheaval, and the group that is above them that's orchestrating this grabs power, and it's a continual struggle. It, once it goes from one group, it's got to go to another. He initially, Marx, pitted what's called the bourgeoisie, well, actually the uh, proletariat, against the bourgeoisie. Now, the proletariat were, were the working men, working people. And the bourgeoisie was the French term for people who lived in the city or you know, the, the middle class. Now, that failed because we have a constitution that has enshrined yep. That is enshrined the 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 classical liberal values that our founding fathers, you know, espoused. Espoused. This was this was a complete, let's say, uh, march indietro, come si dice in Italian. It was a complete reversal of feudalism against the neo feudalism that Marxian thought is trying to reinstill. So they began to infiltrate us. And they started using groups within the United States to pit against each other. They use race, they use sex, they use education, they use, uh, you know, anything that they can grab a hold of and pit one group against another to to foment chaos in society. Exactly. So let me give you two very recent examples. Great example. Hillary Clinton talking and, you know, using her platforms during that time frame. So, and she started using this word called deplorables, right? And, and so, you know, the people that she's relating to, which is majority of the conservative people, right? Right. Instantly are are getting uh, or feeling um, oppressed. They're feeling attacked. Exactly what exactly what they say has happened to them. Exactly. All right, so that's the first example. Here's the second one. It just happened a few days ago. There was a senator in Wisconsin, uh, uh, a U.S. senator, not state senator, or I'm sorry, state senator in U- in Wisconsin. Her name is Latoya Johnson, uh-huh. and she stood up in a formal environment of legislators talking back and forth, debating, right? Yeah. And she said 
based upon the fact and the discussions around the suburbs having an increase in violence from people in the city, right? You know, going going out to the suburbs. And this is what she said. She said, F the suburbs, because they don't know a G damn thing about how life is in a city. Okay, so <laughs> this is this is the same mentality, right? Yeah. She's saying that, that that the people in the suburbs don't care less about the people in the city because they don't know how they live. When Hitler took power, according to his philosophy, Mein Kampf, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I have a copy. Yep. What 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 he did was told the German people. We are going to get rid of these communist people. And that's what he did. Quote, eliminated communism. So the people's like, yes, you know, he's, you know, he's going to be national. He's going to take care of the people and we're going to, exactly. We're going to be a country again. He didn't want any orders. That was all, that was all planned. Of course, he he didn't want any orders coming to uh, into Germany from Moscow. That's all. But, and but, they're doing that here, but they're not using this political uh, conceptual idea of communism, socialism, capitalism, whatever. Yeah. What they have to do is they have to replace that with things like racism. Sure. Like sure. Nazism. It's the know. playbook. It's the playbook. Exactly. The Hegelian dialectic. And yep. you, you because it doesn't you work if they come back and say, well, we're going to get rid of all the communists in America. Well. You know, McCarthy tried that, right? That didn't work. Yeah, well, you know, the people are, the people now are like, you know, if we can just turn them against each other and say, you know, from a social aspect, you guys can't get along, right? According to what? According to the Constitution? No, according to the tyranny of the federal government. Right now, I want you That's to understand, the key, right? Yeah, exactly. I want you to understand something, Gunny. This is very, very important. Okay. There, there is, you know, if we go back to before the 17th Amendment, uh, but even, even today, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the federal government as it was constituted, okay, in 17, uh, 17, seven, uh, 1779 and then re, uh, you know, with the Bill of Rights in 1791. There is nothing wrong with the government. Governments do not make decisions. People do. That's correct. Any corruption in our government is not the fault of the government. It is the fault of people in the government. People make that decisions. That is correct. Okay. So what they do is at the same time, they're forcing people who are, let's say, a constitutional conservative like myself. I want to conserve the, the framework and the... Um, uh, you know, the uh, let's say the the classical liberalism that is enshrined in our Constitution, what they do is they try to make you second guess the Constitution by second guessing the government in quotations. But it's not the government. It is people in government that are making these decisions. OK, excellent, excellent point. And excellent. the Constitution is the original Constitution as written. OK is the framework that we can use to get our government back. 
But as you're a member of the the convention, convention of states, states. that is the yes. only way we're going to do it because these people that are in there are the people that will that are supposed to be correcting the the course of of the ship of state, and they're not doing it. We can't rely That's on correct. them to do it. That is okay? correct. The people so, got the people have got to get in and you know re ingrain. Right, and they if, and we if, have if to we go, use this if we use this example of the Revolutionary War. And the tyranny that was brought on by England to these colonists. Now, people don't realize that America's a pretty good distance from England. Sure. Especially during, you know, the mid-1700s. So you had these colonists that have been there since, you know, 15, 1600 time frame. They, they grew families. They, they grew communities they grew states they grew cities exactly. right and they had, and 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 they were so far away initially from england that they felt secure they felt safe they felt free cuz you know building their little log cabins and all that the government wouldn't say okay you, you can't build a cabin on this property unless it's this size or within this <laughs> zone Right. Oh boy, could I could I tell you stories about Italy? Yeah, absolutely. So th this all leads up to what we're talking about is America is not screwed up according to the Constitution. But anyway, so uh, that's I mean I think that's that's where we're at. So uh, Tom, let's do this. Let's talk about your book. I want to get oh, okay. uh, that information out there to as many people as possible, uh, specifically. The title of the book is Unalignable. Did I say that right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to come over there and teach you. <laughs> I know. Un, un, well, say it for me. <laughs> the, the original pronunciation of the word that we find okay. uh, in, the, in the Declaration of Independence is unalienable. Not unalienable. Not unalienable. Gotcha. Unalienable. It comes from the French all right. Uh, alien, alien, locked, which means locked in my head now. I got right. it. Unalienable. So it's it, unalienable what is what it really means and why it matters. So that's Tom's right. book. Um, I started reading it. You know, I, I didn't want to put it down, but, you know, life is life. But I'm going to continue, Tom, until I get okay. through it. And we'll, we'll talk about that after I get back through. But tell us about the, the conceptual idea. Why did you write this book? I always ask people, or right, I wrote a book. I'm going, okay, good for you. Why? Well, you gotta have I wrote a why, it. right? Yeah, sure. There's no, you know, there's a, there's always an underlying reason for everything. Sometimes it's sane, sometimes it's insane, but there's always an underlying reason. <laughs> um, what prompted me to write the book was my father's death. Hmm. Uh, my father died at, at the age of 68 from uh, uh, metastatic cancer which I diagnosed, by the way. Uh, and it was a shock to me because my father was a, a pillar in my life. But I realized something. I have two daughters here uh, that never had the opportunity to sit down with my father and hear it from his own lips, his experiences and understanding of the world and what makes it tick. And it suddenly dawned on me that my brothers have children that never had the opportunity to sit down with their grandfather and hear his story and why he loved America so much, why he loved 
uh, the concept of America, why he was a Jeffersonian, uh, you know, a, a great admirer of the of the founding fathers of Jefferson, of Madison, of Franklin, of John Locke, uh, of, of these philosophical reasons. Now, my father was an extremely intelligent man. He was a genius. And he was a professor of, uh, uh, of uh, business education and uh, business and um, economics. And he gave my brothers and I informal lectures on this material from the time we were children uh, in, in economics, in uh, Americana, uh, in freedom, in the role of a government in a free society. And he ingrained this in us, okay? So it dawned on me that my kids would never have that opportunity. They would never, ever be able to understand. And knowing the history of my own family, his family in Italy, going back to the Second Crusade, 23 generations back from me, I know that history. I know the people. <laughs> you know, I, I decided to write some write down some of the lessons, the informal lessons that he gave me growing up as a, a young as a child, all the way to young adulthood, uh, so that I could I could uh, pass it on to them. Well, my when it eventually I, I had the rough draft, I sent it to my cousins and my brothers and uh, other people that I respected to uh, you know look at the draft who knew my father, and uh, they said you know Tommy this is great you know for our family. But uh, this, this is information that has to be spread to other people. They have to understand this because your father lays it out clearly and simply. My father was a person who, who was an expert in education. I mean, his degrees were in education from uh, Temple University. And uh, so uh, after I published the book, uh, we decided, uh, you know, in a conference between my brothers and my cousin, uh, Rob, that, hey, maybe we should, um, we should try to get this, uh, this information out in a podcast. So we started the Liberty Brief podcast as a supplement to the book, trying to explain some of the lessons of that book with, you know, present day uh, experiences, you know, what's going on now. And right. that's how that's how we started. So the book was started basically as an information stream uh, to my father's offspring. Awesome. Yep. Kind of the same uh, thing. You know, that? when I started the Patriot Cause in 2020, I was at a point in my life going, what is going on? You know, I was taught about our country and forefathers and freedom and const all of this stuff. And, right. and I'm just seeing so many citizens in our country that are completely oblivious right. to what America really is. And, and this is the country that made them who they are. Give right. them the opportunity to become professor at Yale or, or whatever, right? Exactly. But yet they don't they don't recognize. That if you if they if they would have been in another country, they may have been on a waiting list to to get into college or or if they're well, if they're in China, if I they're can, in China as they're going through school, they're completely separated. You're not smart enough to go to college, so you know the sure, education Gunny, system in, Gunny, in the, China the tells over, them. You know the overwhelming majority of people in the United States, if they were back in their in their countries of origin. 
would have no concept of what it is to be free. Absolutely. You know, and apparently they're not taking the concept that, you know, that founded oh, our country. It's not that they're not taking it, Gunny. They're not instructed in it. When was the last time you saw a civics class in high school? When was the That's last true. time you saw an economics class in high school explaining, yeah. you know, what it is about what what free market economics is? You know, they there can they, we have people who just hearing the word capitalism, they have no idea what they're talking about. But they hear right. the word and they have an aversion to it. It's like 54% among the uh, millennials, yeah. you know, yep. you ask them, what it's, is it? It's crazy. What is capitalism? They can't tell you. Well, it's, you know, it's the wealthy, it's the rich. And it, that's not capitalism. That's not capitalism at all. Working in a sweatshop is not capitalism. You know, being a slave is not capitalism. Capital, you know, slavery, for example, slavery is someone stealing your labor against your will and there is no recompense. Exactly. You know, exactly. And they never ask. They, they'll sit there and they'll look at a picture from the middle 1800s of people in, in uh, let's say, uh, Italian immigrants, you know, living 20 in a room. But they never ask the question, what is it that they were escaping from? Why would that be an alternative that they would prefer rather than where they came from? They never ask that question. Why would the Irish emigrate to England during the Industrial Revolution from the rural, you know, rural Ireland to England to work in a factory and live in a room, you know, with 12 people in a room and no plumbing, no electricity, no heat in Manchester, let's say. Why would they do that? Because the alternative was better than where they were coming from. The exactly. people were voting with their feet. Yep. And I would prefer to have a person vote with their feet than being forced by some overlord telling them what they can and cannot do. Yes, absolutely. God, this goes back to the understanding of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Yep, God created us in his image. God gave us free will. He gave us an intellect to determine that free will, okay, to, to act upon that free will. Now, if God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things natural, gave us our free will, what king, what prince, what yes. committee, what commissar has the right to impose his free will upon us if our own creator gave us you know, sovereignty over our own free will? Exactly. Who are these people? Are they equivalent to authority in, in the universe, to the, to the entity that created us? That's why they hate the Bible. That's why they hate yep. God and they want to try and substitute the Bible with, you know, with uh, the Communist Manifesto and, and God with Karl Marx. That's why they want yep. to do it, because our rights come from our creator. They don't come from a government. Absolutely. So, right. Tom, so, how, how does our listeners get your book? Where do they go? Oh, well, they can, they can go on um, Amazon.com. Uh, you know, it's, okay. uh, there's a Kindle version. There's also a a um you know a, a, a paperback uh barnes and noble has it uh, they they can get they can get it there if you wish you might even be able to put a link in your uh in your podcast if you, if they I, I and i don't know if they could do that i don't know if you could do that with a podcast but you know yes i can uh, but they could easily find it all they have to do is type in dr thomas v giordano the author name or unalienable uh you yep. know what it means and why it matters oh and incidentally the, one of the reasons that i i titled it unalienable 
is because of one of the Marxist tactics of taking a word and changing its definition. They keep the word and change the definition. Right. Right. And unalienable is one such word. If you were to go back to the, it comes to us from, uh, from France. The word was alien, which means to place a lien upon a, a property. It was a, it was a legal term that was, uh, you know, picked up by the, uh, uh, by uh, British uh, common law dealing with property rights. If you owned something, it was yours and could not be sold without your permission. Now think of the difference in terminology. Doesn't mean it can't be taken away. It means it cannot be sold or is not a subject of commerce. That's what it meant without your permission. All right. And That's, there was a reason yeah. behind it. If I believe we did an entire podcast on that concept, property rights, which okay. was the basis of which was the basis of, of Western civilization. So if you were to go back and look at the lexicon of, um, of uh, that word, unalienable, there was, you have to understand it at the time of the writing of the uh, Declaration of Independence, uh, the, in English was not standardized. So you'll find copies of Jefferson writing it inalienable, uh, but the overwhelming majority of people in the colonies pronounced it unalienable, right? Oh, uh, gotcha. So, you know, the thing is, in about 1810, it started to appear in our dictionaries in the United States as meaning unable to be taken away, cannot be taken away. They even started to alter the spelling to inalienable. Inalienable as a word did not exist when they wrote the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. Okay, it doesn't appear in the Constitution, but uh, it does appear in the, in the Declaration. And it meant what it meant. Now, if you were to sit there and change the term to its underst understanding to the founders, not subject to commerce, cannot be sold without your permission, and then plug it in to that famous line, you know, gotcha. we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. They also had property as well, <clears throat> but they had yep. to alter that. Um, you'll understand what that meant. It meant that our rights were not subject to commerce by a federal government or by a government. Okay. Uh, and, but you see, that term was usurped and changed, which is why when you're talking about strict constructionist, uh, uh, a, a, an understanding of the Constitution, you have to understand the Constitution in the terms that the original drafters wrote it. Their understanding Absolutely. of the definition of the words, those words. You cannot take a 21st century definition of the word unalienable, which they even mispronounced unalienable, and apply it to the, the, the document that the founding fathers wrote. When you start to do that, it is not the same document that they wrote. And sure. then it could be easily attacked. You see, that's the purpose of what they're trying to do by destroying the framework of our founding documents. That's their purpose. They can't get it done by, by conventional means, by a vote, because they know that the overwhelming majority, even liberals, even liberals in the United States who are not leftists, there's a big right. difference between the two. They sure. would not stomach it. They would not put nope. up with it. Nope. So I'm sorry. I didn't want to go off on a rant. But no, that's all right. That's all right, see, Tom. They, um, they do that. They do that. This is their, this is their, Look at what they do to redefine terms. They can't even define a woman today. You ask me what a woman. Now, I'm a zoologist. 
by preparation. I'm a chiropractor by training. I taught this material. There are only two sexes in biology. Gender is not a biological term. Gender no. is a literary term, period. There are two sexes in biology, male and female. They're determined by their chromosomes, period. Everything else is an abnormality. I mean, you could have uh, Kleinfelter syndrome, XXY, or you can have a lot of different syndromes, but the normality is XX and XY, period. End of story. Yeah. You can well, that, believe that, anything you want to do. Yeah, but the, so just to add to what you're saying, uh, before we get ready to close here is this is I got to thinking about this years ago when you're talking about the biological aspects of humans but you also have biological aspects of animals and basically any creature that moves around on this earth exactly. flies swims whatever but here's here's the thing that, that got me thinking if humans are trying to change this conceptual idea of, you know, uh, sexes or genders, right? Mm -hmm. Are the animals doing that? No. I, I don't think no. they are. Because if they are, I, I don't know anything about it. I just know that Do you I know dogs and cats and horses and, you know, they no, they're are not, they're not to because... reproduce, right? Because so there's a very a very simple reason for that. The human um, being a right to to change that creation structure by the God that created everything. That's that's what really hit me home when I'm going. Okay, the, 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 this is a man-made psychological, uh, what I would consider a. I don't want to use the word deranged. What I'm trying to use is is a word that that a person doesn't want to accept the state of being that they're in that was created by god right and well it's it's called this it's called a dysphoria in uh, okay. in medical terminology if this would be a sexual dysphoria or a they, they like to change the terms every once in a while they would call it a gender dysphoria now the right. reason that if you you have to go backwards in complexity on the on the taxonomic scale in order to find a hermaphroditic type of a life form, uh, basically you'd have to go back to the earthworm. Now, if man a man wants to compare himself to an earthworm and take the on the identity of an earthworm, hey, knock yourself out. But the difference is what the Greeks understood, you know, two thousand eight hundred years ago. There is a difference between natural law right. and man-made law. The man-made law, can you, the man-made law, the Greeks referred to as nomos. These are conventions. These are, excuse me one moment. Uh, my dog is barking in the other room. Can you hear him? It's very light, very light. Go ahead. All right. The Greeks understood the difference between nomos, which was a convention, something created by man, and natural law, which was the, you know, was, was the rule uh, of the universe. And as far as the sexuality of humans goes, that's natural. It's not subject, it's immutable. It is not subject to change because of the whim of man. It ain't happening. I mean, even if you were to use the terms that they use, let's say uh, homosexual or lesbian, it still implies the sexuality 
your sexual, uh, uh, let's say, point of view from the beginning. If you're a homosexual, you're a male. If you're a lesbian, you're a female by definition. Right. Right. So, you know, to say, well, you know, and then they get off on the tangents and start identifying with lower forms of animals. You know, well, I yeah. identify as a, a duck-billed platypus, uh, you know, uh, yeah. you know, okay. But the, the question is, when you get a government behind this and they're compelling your speech to fall into their delusion, that's where I draw the line. Gotcha. You know, I give you the freedom to think and believe anything you wish. Just don't make me pay for it yeah. or make well, me I, by compelled yeah. speech to, to agree with you I or agree. shut and, me and, up and, because you don't want to hear what I have to say. Well, you were talking about an earthworm, right? You know, I was a Marine for, or I'm still a Marine, but I was active duty for 20 years. And I've met some people, you know, in the military and even outside the military. You know, it might be better if they were an earthworm. <laughs> if you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be evil. What I'm saying is well, no, there's so many, know. so many people are that I have met in my life. Good thing. Very few uh, are so confused. Right. in their mind. And, and I get that. So look, this is definitely going to be another podcast where, that we can talk about. I want to use your bi biology knowledge sure. to talk towards that process of, because uh, I go back to, you know, junior high and high school when I, you know, I had to dissect the frog, all that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah. my mind, when you say biology, I, I go back to what I consider biology, you know, the makeup of of the bodies and and how all that stuff worked together, right? Sure. But this is like you're talking about when they say, you know, or 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 go against biology, they say, well, you got to follow the science, you know, all that stuff. So we'll yeah, we'll, we'll definitely where get they in, following get that. That, that ain't you know? science. That ain't science. I know what science is creation of God, and we know that. Just they're you know, following pseudoscience off, you know, yeah. off the off the edge of the abyss. Because yes, we go back bring to them. Yep. It'll bring them right straight to hell. And well, I'm not talking about I'm saying. Oh, you know? I know, but you go back to Galipius Islands or whatever. Where uh, what's his name? the darwin 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 the, right the, and he's watching these bird beaks change or whatever i'm just going okay but anyway that's a whole nother discussion oh uh, yeah we got yeah. we got to go uh tom uh let me i mean i'll put it to you this way listeners there's a lot to unpack here yeah tom is very very knowledgeable he has just filled my brain with all of this you know information and research and and i thank you tremendously for coming on the podcast and uh look you, you, we're going to be connected for a long long time yeah i think uh, we on both I ends, think so. this is the beginning of a of a very very long and cordial and complimentary absolutely <laughs> absolutely so his, the podcast that they have is called the liberty brief get it today if you don't have it go on your phone i go to i you know ipad ipod whatever, you know, Google Play, whatever, get that app on your phone, search for the Liberty Brief right. and listen to Tom and Robert that basically is the, the moderator of the show. And yeah, he, he listened, keeps me in I, line. He keeps yeah, me in I've line, listened man. to three or four of them all, already. And every time I get off of there, I, I'm going, what? You know, just it's just like a what? <laughs> you know, I'm just going. And, and it's just, 
it's great information. It's things that that, that I would consider uh, normal people, you know, that live in a normal world needs to know. We need to understand what's happening, not only from a political standpoint, but most importantly, especially in America, right. the social conceptual idea of what's going on, because it drove me crazy for years before I started this podcast. And I said, I've got to figure this out. And I started off talking about communism and socialism and all that stuff. But Tom, will definitely get you back soon. Tell the wonderful people in Italy that we're, you know, we're behind them. The good ones, you know, what I'm talking about. It's, it's a great country. I've met many people from Italy that, you know, uh, I can't wait to to get there. I know eventually I got to to, to visit Italy and get there. So thank oh, you well, very much. Uh, Italy, get, Italy when Robert will, gets back. Uh, yeah. It, uh, yeah. Italy will welcome you with open arms. You know, absolutely, it's, uh, sir. You know, it's uh, it, it, Italian people are very, very warm. Um, you know, they, yes. they, they, they love new experiences. Now, you know, I want, I would like to say one thing. We yes. should never confuse people or society for their governments. Yes. Uh, they are responsible for their governments yes. in many cases, but in many yep. cases in Europe, uh, you see the difference, there are basically two forms of government in the world. One in which the people control the government. And the other is where the government controls the people. Controls the people. And the thing now, about in, it is you ask virtually any citizen in any country, right? What is the percentage that actually trusts their government in any of them? Uh, and it's always less than 50%. Right. Virtually always, you know. I so. think uh, in a recent poll, I think members of Congress were regarded less than cockroaches in the United States. <laughs> I, well, I know I know they're sitting around the 20, 21, <laughs> 22 mark. So I'm going to start measuring the depth of whale yeah. dung. <laughs> yep. All right, Tom. Thank you again for coming on the show. It was uh, we'll a it was a pleasure. It was a, yes, an sir. absolute pleasure, uh, Gunny. And yep. I want to thank you for your service in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, it is something that I did not do. Uh, that I uh, one of the things that I regret because I did not have that form of, uh, how could I say this, um, uh, definition Experience. of my, right. uh, of exactly of my, of my personality, but I right. did have that. I did have that impressed upon me by a father who served and well, my part, uncles. And that's true. And, but part of it, you know, even going through the education system to a certain point, you have to have dedication. You have to have discipline to, to get to the point that you did to become a, um, a doctor and, you know, um, all these things. So yeah. there's, you know, people say, well, and I, I agree with you. I wished I would have, and I'm going, no, you don't because God, otherwise you would have done it. <laughs> otherwise you would have done it, but God directs your life. Exactly. People don't understand that you're thinking, well, I have free will and I get that. I understand that conceptual idea. And we're going to talk about more about this, but, your life was determined before you even hit the ground right. running. And people have to understand that, you know, we are put on this. And if you, if you can understand that you are going to be so much more happier because you're not going to be drained and, and stressed that I got to do X to be successful. I just right. got to be me and, right. and let God lead me and I do it. So anyway, thank you very much, sir. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. 
and we will talk to you again. Thank you. Yes. Stand up for the flag and let's all ring the liberty bell. Let's make a Ford and a ship would still last ten years like the should. Cause the best of the free life is still yet to come. The good times ain't over for good.